Well, hey, uh, we're glad to have you here today, and uh, it just is always uh, good to gather, isn't it, to see each other, to be reminded through prayer, through singing, through standing, sitting, and again, God being with us in his goodness. You know, Father knew we needed the gift of rest, he knew we needed Sabbath to reset and remind us that, that we are not what we think we are. Right? I mean, he resets us in multiple different ways. Hey, if you have been with us, you know that we've been walking our way through Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you want to pull them out, you can do that in these moments. We left off last week with this a bit of simple, with this, this idea of a uh, simple truth and clarity from John the Baptist last week. Not sure about you, but I needed last week's message maybe as much as you needed to hear it or receive it or whatever the Spirit did in you about it, but it's always good when the preacher needs it almost as much or as much as y'all do, and that's good. Truth always, 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 truth with a big T, not truth that's going around our world today. Truth with a big T will always bring clarity and sets those free willing to hear it and apply it. Remember James. Remember James. Today we're going to talk a, a little, we're going to talk about Jesus' baptism, but we're going to talk about this idea of surprises, this idea of surprises. You like them? How many of you like surprises? How many of you don't like surprises? Yeah, there's a few of us in the room that don't like surprises, right? There are a few of us that like them, Right? There are surprises, and then there are surprises. Like when my wife calls on Thursday and says, hey, it's going to cost X amount for our, um, for our washing machine to be fixed, so we need to get a washing machine, not yesterday, because of a series of events we were going through, like, yes, like now, right? Those are the kinds of surprises. And then we have surprises with balloons and cake and the food we love, all those type of things, right? Good surprises are those that benefit us. I mean, right? Uh, let's say you have a birthday or anniversary celebrate, uh, we, celebrations where one person you have not seen for a long time. It's not only that it's a celebration, but it's that one person you've not seen forever. And it's like they show up at your door or they come to the party. And not only are there there's tears of joy, there's laughter because of inside jokes, all of that, you know, those kind of surprises are just good for the heart, they're good for the soul. Uh, how about this kind of a surprise? They all vary all in different ways. You go to the auto repair shop, taking your car in, and you hear this clink, 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 you know, or something, you know it is, it's dastardly, right? And you, you know it's not going to be good, and you show up, and you give them your car, and you go, you step up to the counter to pay your bill. They go, it's done, right? And you step up, and they give you, they give you the bill. And, but the bill is not what you expected, because they say, guess what, Mr. or Mrs., it was under warranty. And you go, whoo! Otherwise, the bill would have been X, and you would have, you know... I had to take out a loan or something. I don't know, right? Maybe it's this kind of surprise. So we get them, uh, you know, in multiple ways. It's, it's, a, it's been a tough year in the workplace. 
And in, instead of, and you, you can see the handwriting on the wall. It's the annual review, the annual increases or whatever, all right? And you're thinking, uh, this isn't going to go well. It's not because I've done anything bad, but, the, the, but it's just not going to go well. Nobody's looking out for my ends, right, my, you know, to meet my ends. And you're thinking and you're bracing yourself, not necessarily for the review, but for, you know, you're, you're needing a little bit of bump up in your budget, right? And, but you're anticipating a reduction. But instead they go, you know, um, we don't see things that way this year, even though we're having reductions. We're going to give you what you actually, we want to give you. Deserve is a big word, right? We don't deserve anything, but we're going to bump it up. I mean, you kind of walk away from those type of encounters going, are you kidding me? Right? I mean, the friend that drives 50, 100 miles, right, to see you, whatever it may be, the, the, the bill that gets, you know, pretty much eradicated because, and you anticipate it's not going to, and then just you get a job or you get the, get the things, well, that are, you don't expect, right? Surprises, well, can be this too. They can be leveling. That's what I call them. Instead of disappointing, they're just reality checks, Right? A grounding in the reality of the world we live in and the brokenness that just pervades it. When you walk into a doctor's office and after the exam, the doctor says, hey, would you, um, I'm about ready to take a break. I need you to wait in the waiting room, right? And so he brings you in a little bit later saying, hey, I have a few brochures I want you to look over and I want you to think about the routes we need to take because I think you have cancer, right? In case you're wondering who that's about, that's me, right? I'm, I, maybe your story, but that's my story too. When, you're, when you and your spouse realize that you've been, other surprises, you realize that you've been having, uh, trying to have a child for a while and you're told the, the possibility is outside of the realm of, of the bio, biology reality, Right? It will have to be supernaturally uh, done by God himself. It's a surprise that may not take your breath away, but it verifies what you've been thinking and what's been going on, right? Surprise. The hard work of getting a degree, right? If any of you have kids in school, this is the one you don't want to want to go through. And you don't want to, on their behalf, not because of anything you've done, the hard work of getting the degree to have, to to get the dream job you've been thinking is a dream job, right? Or you thought it was, to find out that you hate the whole field. You get into it and you've spent, I don't know how much people spend on all their degrees, but you spend all this money and surprise, it's almost more fun to be flipping burgers at McDonald's than doing the job you're in. See, surprise comes in multiple packages, and, well, Jesus is one of those guys that brings us surprises in multiple packages, I think. So let's, let's uh, kind of look at a few words that are on the screen there for you uh, that surprises come in. They come in shock, awe. I love this word, bewilderment, right? It's like, oh, what am I going to do with this, right? Disappointment. Or jolt. I mean, there are tons of words you could put up there for surprise, but this is the point. As we continue to walk through Matthew, you're going to find, and you should find, these perpetual surprises that Jesus 
puts in front of the people that he is addressing or the teaching he is leading. They're perpetual. And this would be my request of you, is to read it as if you've never read it before. I know, that's an impossibility. But you can do this. You can think on behalf of those that are, that are in the storyline. Think on behalf of them and think, how are they receiving what, what's being transcribed by Matthew right now? Right? I mean, there's a little reflection that's going into it, but it's an incredible storyline And we have an incredible Jesus that wishes to transform every aspect of our lives. And he does some pretty phenomenal things. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3 as we do that. As Chase read, he read this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John, what did he try to do? No! (laughs) I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Now, again, surprises come in a ton of different packages. Now, a little backdrop, backdrop um, on this. You know, what if you were John? And you know what your call is, right? You know your call is to prepare the way of the Lord. Your dad has been telling you this from the day, from, since the day you were born. And not only that, but now that everybody's kind of honed in to, on it, the Qumran community we talked about, they're all kind of whispering in your ear, hey, John, remember, you don't carry your family name. You don't carry your family name because you're a different guy, and this different guy is preparing the way for the Lord. You know your call, right? He's just continue to knead it in it's over and over and over again and so there you go you're presented with the opportunity to prepare the way in the wilderness you've never met your cousin Jesus yet you know you have a cousin because you had this womb-to-womb connection incredible supernatural when your mom Elizabeth was visited by your cousin by cousin Mary supernatural Holy Spirit kind of things that were happening that kind of even, you know, blow our minds a little bit. But you've never met. I mean, there's just kind of this interesting thing that's transpiring, this Holy Spirit kind of infusion that's happening here. And you've never met. And here Jesus comes. He walks out of the wilderness from Galilee to the Jordan. Now, I want to show you a little bit, because we don't often do this, but I thought this would be fun, and my wife tells me that maps get people interested, so I'm, I'm interested in you getting interested. So. so, in case you're wondering, and we'll go to a smaller map, Jerusalem's way down, whoop, going too fast there, Bible scholar. Um, <clears throat> Jerusalem is way down there. Nazareth is, is the highlighted. Hopefully, you can see it. You can't see the word. I get it. But then the Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee at the top, that body of water, all the way down there. So the next slide shows us that Jesus came from the Sea of Galilee to the Jordan. Not talking about a great distance, but he's, he's walking. And what we understand is he kind of made Capernaum kind of his central, central place until he started to move and migrate south. And this, this is where he's at. And he walks out from the Sea of Galilee to the Jordan, and there John is, and he walks up to John as if he's one of the baptismal people. Now, we don't quite understand. Scholars really are wrestling with this. 
How did John know that that was Jesus? Because they were pretty sure that they did not meet. But there was some kind of resident authority that came with Jesus. And John obviously had his own, right? And they recognized, and he realizes there's something vastly different about this Jesus one. But this is the thing that I think that John was surprised at, that we need to be surprised at, not at the cross, but at the very beginning of his ministry, is we need to be surprised at Jesus' selflessness. We need to be surprised by Jesus' selflessness. It's an incredible thing for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to look at somebody and say, hey, I want to be baptized. And John's going, hey, cuz, it's the other way around, man. It really is. It's the other way around. But Jesus surprises us right here, right off the bat with this story. And we, we get to the end of it and we're blown away. But in this story, it's just Jesus' selflessness at the very beginning. But I want to remind you just on the ability for the writers of the Bible to reflect on Jesus in his totality. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Who being, of Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. But may I present to you that his selflessness was far before we ever saw him. And that at every turn, Jesus surprises us with his selflessness, his willing to give himself away on a regular basis, not just at the end, but he continually gives himself away. And John's like, whoa, no. Remember, somebody else told him that too, Peter. Like, hey, hey, (laughs) you're not washing my feet. And then Peter convinced, oh, if that's what you're going to do, I need to be fully washed. And obviously Peter wasn't getting it. I mean, this response, though, we have the same response inside of us. You know that, right? When Jesus says, well, let me serve you by healing you. Let me serve you by taking your sins. Let me serve you by, and we go, no, let me hang on to him. Let me play with him a little bit longer. Jesus' selflessness is his desire to make us whole and his grand design all the time. Moving on. Matthew 3.15 says, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, there's just one statement. And again, this is one of those puzzling passages of scripture for many scholars We know what is transpiring, but we don't know completely what is transpiring. Isn't that beautiful about Scripture? It just continues to unfurl. I mean, as we continue to dive into it, it continues to reveal itself. But I think this is what is transpiring, and I think that some scholars tend to agree with me, or I agree with them, however you want to look at it, is that We need to be surprised by Jesus' identification with us. 
N.T. Wright says this, as Jesus who seems to be identifying himself not with God who sweeps all before him in judgment, but with people who are themselves facing that judgment and needing to repent. He is identifying, I mean, we know that as a baby, he identifies, we get that, the humanness, but already in the introduction of his ministry that's really what's happening here he is moving into his ministry mode his mission his purpose identification he's already saying look i see you and i see the need there's a there's there's obviously a deep theological uh, ride here because it's to fulfill all righteousness this is what needed to happen N.T. Wright says in another place, if he, Jesus, is to do all this, this is how he must do it, by humbly identifying himself with God's people, by taking their place, sharing their penitence, living their life, and ultimately dying their death. So you take Philippians chapter two, and you kind of go, wait a second. He emptied himself of his glory, took on a human form, came as a baby, and then he lived this, lived the child, you know, through his childhood. We enter in about 30 years of age, and he then demonstrates what it is to give himself up immediately. I mean, he probably already all did that all the way wrong, but he demonstrates to us, no, 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 wait a second. I don't need this, but I'm going to do this. I'm, I don't need this, but I, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing for the, for the salvation of all people. It is an incredible Incredible thing. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is what we see the whole passage of being about is that Jesus himself is being baptized and the initiation of his ministry is, is being, is take, he's taking it on. And the dove being the spirit of the living God, hovering on him, empowering him for every step. Many of you may remind last year when we had um, uh, Dr. Brewer with us that he drew our attention to the very fact that the spirit of the living God had to empower Jesus in order for him to be able to complete the mission that he was doing. I believe that, that this was not just some happen chance, that he didn't need the spirit. He did need the spirit because we believe that he was fully human. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully human. And then that way, identifying himself again for us, that we need that. Many of us know that the dove throughout our history our tradition is a representation of the spirit now i will tell you though in the original text there is much discussion whether it should be a dove or what kind of bird it was but the but the true but and that's the case across the board but the dove is of that this is what we should be surprised at in this in this place is is god's I mean, I think we should be surprised by the affirmation and affection of God on his own son. Did he have to say this to Jesus? I mean, at a 
at an age of which uh, uh, I can't really remember, Jesus is found in the temple, about maybe, I think we're, if you summarize, it's maybe about 12. We're not sure. I think that's right. But he's found in the temple, and what does he say to his mom and dad, whom, you know, they caravan to Jerusalem, and then they caravan leaving, and they go, oh, where's, where's Jesus at? They find him in the temple. Remember this story? And they find him in the temple, and what does he say? He's like, I'm about my father's work. The reason I say that we should be surprised by the affirmation and affection is because I don't know if Jesus really needed it. But he really needed it. Again, another place of identification uh, with us, of needing the affirmation and the affection of our Heavenly Father, being that presence in us and through us. Jesus surprises John the Baptist over and over again. Jesus surprises us over and over again. So this surprise, in this passage, we need to directly connect it. I need to do this for you. It's, this is about Jesus' baptism by John is the intentional law, launch of mission and purpose. That is what's happening in this place. That there is this, this the Trinitarian view of God that we see in this place is incredible. But inside of that, that big container are these little things that Jesus surprises and that we're going to find them over and over and over again as we read scripture with open eyes, open hearts, kind of in the view of never reading it before or reading it from the view of the person that they're that he's addressing and talking to and what is transpiring in the place, trying to almost elicit the smells and the, the atmosphere of the place, we then are transported back. And Jesus, every single time, I promise you, he will surprise you with something. And I want you to catch this. So Jesus surprises. His surprises are reality checks and celebrations. They're both. They're reality checks and celebrations we're not, some of them we're, we're not too happy with. The places where he tells us to take up our cross and follow him and we know that we have not been, that's a reality check. It's a celebration too, right? Those are the places. So what are our next steps? What do we take from this? Well, Jesus launches his ministry, that's bottom line and we're gonna in, invest our time and energy into that. But I also want you to kind of invest your mind, and if you need to move these words to different things that the Spirit allows, then go ahead and do this. But I think we need to expect surprises. Expect surprises, just like John the Baptist. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that? Part of the reason I picked it is because some of us will have this song that will go through our head. We can't get rid of it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. There you go. Now it's in your head. I just had to do that. But I love this story because this story is one that Zacchaeus never expected. Zacchaeus climbed the tree, not only because we think he was short, who knows, but because he was trying to hide. I really think he was trying to get an ear in on what was going on, but he was trying to hide. Friends, expect surprises like this. 
you're trying to hide, and Jesus invites himself to your supper table. (laughs) It's going to happen. If you're open to it, it will happen, and receive him with joy even though it alters your life. Expect surprises. Our expectations need to be set on Jesus and his kingdom and what it can do radically in us and through us. Number two, how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where those of us who are not so hip on surprises are open to surprises? It's this, control less and less. Control less and less. Uh, uh, Some of you are going to groan at this one. Judas is my example today. You know, I believe with many people, there are good intentions when they start following Jesus. Yet, they're mixed. We're both uh, breath of God and we're the dirt of the earth. And I believe Judas couldn't release control of what his ideal, and we know this to be the case, what his ideal of what the king should look like. What Jesus was to be. And friends, we need to let go of what Jesus is to be. How he is to perform for us. Where he is supposed to be and how he is supposed to show up. Judas is a rough one because ultimately he realizes what he has done and he takes his own life. But see, if we live our lives trying to control what Jesus can and can't do, we will end up in the same way, maybe not in the same way. Friends, expect surprises and learn to control Jesus less and less. So if we learn to control Jesus less and less and we control things around us and the events and the patterns and everything around us less and less, we have to do something to fill that spot. And the spot that has to be filled is this, trust Jesus more. Trust Jesus more. You can't can't let control of one thing without putting something in its place or the backfill will be something evil and devious, I promise you. It will be bad. (laughs) I love the story of Peter and Cornelius. Um, For this very reason, as Peter began to trust Jesus more and more, his life became altered in ways he would have never expected. So he's on the rooftop praying midday as a uh, good Jewish person would do. And as he's praying up there, he gets a vision that has to be repeated three times. We know the vision is being let down, that there's food that is being brought down, that he's being shown that it's contaminated uh, according to Jewish rule and law and all of that. And the Lord just speaks to him directly. Hey, what I've said clean is clean is clean. Now, Uh, I don't know how this transpires, but this alters his ability to be able to hear and to be able to respond to Cornelius' heart cry to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and to know more of who the the God that he's been praying to is about and this response of Cornelius to send these people to uh, 
to Peter's house to say, hey, you need to come with us to Cornelius' house. If you look up the passage of scripture I, I pointed to, it shows us, it, it demonstrably shows us in tangible ways how much Peter has been transformed in this occurrence of letting, up, letting go of control, expecting surprises, and giving Jesus trust. He walks into a house of a Gentile. Folks, we, we, wouldn't, we don't think too much of this. Uh, but Peter gets hammered on this a little bit later because it's not totally thoroughly uh, been purged out of his system. But Jesus will continually surprise us. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. He wants, to step in, wants us to step into things and to places that we, on our own thinking and our own ways of doing things, even religiously doing things, would not do. For John the Baptist to baptize the king, Jesus, the Messiah. It's, it's mind-blowing. It's surprising. It's like, whoa, no. I, I pray that even if our initial reaction to the surprises of Jesus is, whoa, no, I'm not sure this is right, we relent by the Spirit's presence of confirming truth in our lives so our next steps expect prizes this week we've talked about it you're going to see them they're going to happen to you control less and less less of jesus less of your situations around you the only person you can't control and even then is very difficult as yourself let jesus control your world and trust jesus more to lead you into homes you would never have gone into ever before. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you.